I'm Carlton Owen, immediate past president and CEO of the U.S. Endowment for Forestry and Communities, and a proud supporter of Keeping Forest. Keeping Forest is the producer of this podcast called How the River Flows. Keeping Forest is built on a powerful and simple idea to ensure that our region's forests have a future. We're working hard to conserve the 245 million acres of existing forests by supporting private landowners, shedding light on why this land matters, and showing what you can do to help. Every episode of How the River Flows will take a close look at the relationship between healthy forests and clean drinking water. Our experts will share their best ideas along with specific examples about conserving local forests to ensure a lasting, clean supply of drinking water to meet local needs. Each time, we'll bring you a new take on how landowners can be compensated for the tremendous environmental value that their working forests provide to everyone. You'll learn how these innovations are financed, managed, and even how your local community can join the effort in protecting our precious southern forests and the many benefits, including clean water, that they provide. So sit back and enjoy this episode of How the River Flows. Thanks, Carlton. Hi, I'm Judy Tackett, Senior Advisor for Ecosystem Services and Organizational Development at Keeping Forests. In this episode of How the River Flows, we'll be covering the small P of politics of collaboration. My guests today are Vicki Taylor of the Catawba Watery Initiative and Tracy Freeman of the Nature Conservancy. Vicki Taylor is the Executive Director of the Catawba Watery Initiative and a founding partner of Riff Ideas. She helps businesses, nonprofits, and community leaders improve their leadership and strategic planning. Tracy Freeman is the Director of Government Relations for the Ohio Chapter of the Nature Conservancy. She develops and implements policy and legislative strategies with federal and state decision makers to further the mission of her organization. Vicki and Tracy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Judy. Glad to be here. Thank you. So Tracy, I'd actually like to start with you, given your background working in the government. We're not discussing the big P of politics today. We're talking about the small P of politics. So can you just tell me what that means to you? So the small P of politics means to me all of the behind the scenes work that you do before you actually enter the big P of politics. I mean, there's so much behind the scenes discussion, collaboration, strategizing, bringing groups together, determining what, you know, your asks are going to be before you even knock on the doors of either your your state capital or the federal capital. And those politics are critical. Those those are so important to get lined up and get and get messaging that people agree on before you actually enter into those gates of of the uh, capital, state capitals or Congress. Great. Thank you so much. Vicki, would you like to build on that? I think the small P of politics is the very relationships, the lack of or existence of civility. It's the maneuvering. It's the decision-making. I think it's all that we need to do in order to work well with each other. And can you just each talk about an example of where you've seen kind of the small P of politics kind of come out in some collaborative effort that you've been involved in and perhaps how it got started and why it was successful? And Vicki, do you want to start? Yeah, it's really based on the ability to recognize what's important to other people. What are the values that are driving them? How can you be sensitive to those? How can you make sure that you're not instilling undue fears? 
I think it's about managing the way relationships are dynamic, especially in a group, and people behave one way, one-on-one, one way, one-on-two, and a different way, perhaps, in a group of 20 or 30 or more. For me, the little P is all about sensibility and sensitivity and being willing to be flexible, adaptable, knowing that without trust and relationship, it's going to be very hard to move forward. And I want to say just one more thing about relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean you like everyone. To me, relationship means you are related for something in common. So I may or may not like you, but I can align with you and work well with you because we have something in common. Tracy, would you like to build on that? Sure. I'm going to talk about a specific example where the small P led to an amazing outcome, I think, in the big P. And that is a specific program here in Ohio called the H2 Ohio program. And the H2 Ohio program is unique and it's innovative and it started, unfortunately, as so often many of these collaborations do with an event that was really distressing, which was called the Toledo water crisis in 2014, when due to uh, harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie over the drinking water intake for the city of Toledo, over half a million people could not drink the water for three days. And talk about a crisis, right? Um, a, A public health catastrophe, as well as an economic crisis you know, conferences were were canceled, events couldn't take place, as well as just the immediate health impacts. And without getting into all the details of the causes of harmful algal blooms, in Ohio, a lot of the problem comes from runoff from ag fields. There are some other inputs, but that's the largest input. And Ohio is blessed and lucky enough to have some of the most amazing agricultural land in the nation. But also with that, you know, as a significant amount of fertilizer. And as we see the impacts of climate change and these increasingly you know, heavy rain events, you have fertilizer running into the water. And anyway, you had that happen and it got into Lake Erie. And so what brings people together like a crisis is, okay, how are we going to solve this? What can we do? And the Nature Conservancy has some experience in something called water funds globally. We have some in Africa, in South America as well. And we were really we really felt that that concept could be applied in Ohio, which is taking public funding and using it to address the root causes of these harmful algal blooms. So we had to bring together all the groups that were impacted, which is obviously the municipalities, but also the ag sector. We partnered with some folks that normally a lot of the environmental and conservation groups don't necessarily partner with to try to achieve the outcome. And the outcome was Everybody wants to make sure that that doesn't happen again and that we're able to provide funding that's needed to address it through natural infrastructure, on-field practices, et cetera. We brought together other environmental groups. We brought together, as I said, municipal groups. We brought together folks in the ag sector. And we started from that common ideal. You know, we've got to address this. What are we going to do? And so from there, it grew And in uh, 2019, we were actually successful with Governor DeWine's leadership launching the H2 Ohio program, which has provided, gosh, we're looking at over $400 million in a four-year period is the prediction 
to address some of these practices. So I'll stop with that. Obviously, I could go on and on about H2 Ohio, but it it just shows how small P's can lead to big wins. Well, Tracy, that's that's really fascinating what what you said and really kind of starting with the end in mind and creating that mutual purpose seemed to be really important. And, and Vicki, has that been your experience too? For example, I know that you've worked on FERC relicensings in North Carolina. Was that your experience that you kind of starting with mutual purpose and the kind of working back from that? Or was it something else that triggered it? The relicensing process definitely triggered the need to collaborate, but it certainly did not start out particularly collaborative. The power company involved had done a successful collaborative in another watershed, but their version of collaboration, in my opinion, was not my version of collaboration. It was definitely outreach to stakeholders. It was well-intentioned, but it was also something that was very controlled. So initially, our group, the Relicensing Coalition, worked very, very hard to make the tent bigger and then bigger and then bigger and make sure that all the voices were able to be heard. And the thing that's so interesting about natural resource negotiations and collaborations, I think Tracy touched on this, is you bring folks in that come from very different backgrounds and they have very different styles. So you have nonprofit groups, some of which are very zealous advocates, even adversarial. And those some of those folks came into that negotiation not in a collaborative mood at all. And then you have business interests who have a, a kind of a, a limit to how far they're going to go. And they've got a preset limit by the higher-ups. You can't go any further than that. So that limits the collaboration. Then you have state agency folks, federal agency folks. You've got people that have these very different backgrounds and very different styles So our coalition really had to work hard to not only get them in the room, but to get them to interact. And a couple things that we did that I felt were really, really effective were we ran educational conferences. We brought people together to learn together. And that turned out to be extremely effective. We used it sometimes to combat misinformation, but we also used it to have people have a shared learning experience. And another thing that's that's often said, but I will mention it, because it's very, very true, is eat together. <laughs> you know, break, <laughs> break, bread. And, it's, That's right. and I was taught that by, by so a gentleman true. named Steve Smutko, who runs something called the Collaboration Program for Natural Resources at the University of Wyoming. And I work with him sometimes. And he always makes sure, get him in the room, breaking bread. And a drink or two doesn't hurt, does doesn't it? Doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> if I, I could build on that, you know, there's this obvious a secret sauce, and I couldn't agree more about food. I baked cookies myself, and we all took turns for these meetings. But really, building that trust amongst all the partners, because we had, as Vicki mentioned, and in her group as well, we had some people coming into it, you know, from very adversarial positions. I mean, the farmers and ag community felt that, you know, they were being made to, you know, this was all their fault and blaming this, and they're they're trying to provide food for the world and we respect that and you know we had to build that trust and say we understand that this is something that is pointing fingers anymore isn't going to get you the outcome it's just not and so it took some time and you had to have the right people i mean sometimes an organization would send a person and that person wasn't the right person you know to to move forward in the discussions so you have to be willing to kind of put your egos at the door and um, believe that people are bringing their best heart 
you know, felt ideas forward. And I think also people rise to the occasion. You know, and we found that there was some mistrust at first, but then people started to connect and the collaborative juices really started to flow. I think that's where it's so key to have a good facilitation. And it might be a professional facilitator, or it might be those one or two people in the group who have a natural capacity to facilitate a conversation. And I think that the facilitation was absolutely critical in our case. And we had two or three of us who were able to keep conversations moving in a way that was productive, but also take time out for people to be able to have conflict within themselves, within their groups, within each other, because the conflicts themselves turned out to be very great sources of opportunity. And for me, it's so important to remain what curious, like genuinely and authentically curious about the other folks and ask questions. Well, how do you feel about that? What about, what if we tried this, as opposed to constantly hammering home the preconceived goal that you've got? And I found that when you do that, things will appear that you could not have thought of, but for just being curious about what's going on with the other folks or the other, you know, entity, whatever it might be. You both hit upon a a couple of points is, you know, maybe turning perceived adversaries into allies and friends. And that strikes me as something, you know, in my own work that, uh, you know, that, that I've seen as well that has been successful. Can you just talk a little bit, you know, I mean, we, we did touch on you know, like breaking bread with people and asking questions, being curious. Are there some other, you know, tips that you could, you know, give to somebody just to say, you know, if you think that you're kind of coming into a situation where you're going to have to or you're being asked to collaborate with somebody who, you know, you don't think you can work with, how do you kind of put yourself in a mindset to switch that and to just try to kind of come to the table with a different mindset? You know, not expecting the other person to change, but kind of, you know, looking at yourself. I'll take a stab and then, Tracy, you can jump on it. Sure. It's easier to say than do, but assume that they have collaborative wiring within them. So I am a very firm believer that it is absolutely natural for human beings to collaborate. Our species survives because we communicate, we create, and we collaborate. Having said that, there's an awful lot of tribalism and territorialism and everything in our faces constantly. So that's not to say those things don't also exist, but I always remember it's natural to collaborate. So I approach people as though, yeah, there's a collaborator in there. I know there is. And as Tracy said, if you give people the chance and you look at them as their best, most of the time they will bring their, would you say their best heart to the process? I find absolutely most of the time they do and trust that they will eventually come around to that. If they don't, they don't. But I find you get burned far less than you get pleasantly surprised. Boy, I think Vicki just blew that one out of the park. I don't know if there's too much more I can add other than I, I'll put it out there. I mean, I've been I've been doing uh, you know, legislative relations and government relations work for almost 25 years. And it's all about the personal connection. I know we talked about, you know, breaking bread together, but sometimes we would even sometimes hijack the meetings just to talk about something that really was going on. 
you know, or or connect with people on on literally the birth of a new child or the Buckeyes winning or, you know, something like that. Because the process for H2O Ohio, I mean, it took five years. People developed close friendships, myself included, that have, you know, become, because you were spending so much time together, you know, potentially two meetings every month sometimes. And it's really about relationships. All politics is local, right? Isn't that what everybody says? So find a way to connect with the people that are there. And also, I mean, we all realize that we could benefit from having relationships with these other groups. You know, that the wider that your tent is, the more that you can achieve. So have have either of you, I'm just, I'm really curious, have you ever walked away from any collaborative processes? Because you both seem very passionate about, you know, working in the collaborative process and working with people. Has anything ever kind of forced you to go, nope, that's it, I'm done? Well, I can share and mine is not really, nope, that's it, I'm done because I got upset, but it's more of, I guess, for better or worse, the size of our organization does lend itself to people are familiar with the Nature Conservancy. And I have been approached to be part of like a community, you know, project. Would the Nature Conservancy collaborate with other groups and actually implement and run this, you know, particular conservation project in a large city in Ohio? And we're not the right organization to do that. But what I was able to do was say, you know, we're really not that organization. We can give you some some science that we might have about that and some data that we may have been able to, you know, get from other cities. But here are some other groups that you might want to reach out to. So that way they did not feel that, you know, we were we were just not willing to be a part of it, that we were trying to still be a resource, but actually not run a project. I mean, every project's not for every group. I mean, there's certain spaces that we're just not active in. And yeah, I'm, I'm a person who doesn't always like to say no. I have to learn a little bit better to say no. And I've had to learn to say no. It reminded me of a story back in the fair, earlier days of the, the FERC relicensing. We had a series of stakeholder teams, four different regions. So we're on a, like a 225-mile river, 11 reservoirs, 13 hydropower facilities. It's very complicated relicensing. So we had divided up into stakeholder groups and regional groups. Anyway, we were in the one in South Carolina and there was an ongoing issue about a large amount of land that the power company subsidiary owned and it was going to be developed or it wasn't going to be. Anyway, there's a lot of data stuff in the background. And we went to the meeting ostensibly for a different purpose. But one of the people from one of the groups that was very, very upset about what might happen with this land, in the middle of it, stood up and Almost everyone else at the meeting, this was a pre-planned event, stood up and walked out the door. And I had actually forgotten about that because they were saying, no, we are not collaborating with you anymore. We're out of here. And it left this little handful of us in the room. And earlier in the negotiations, I had been very closely aligned with that particular group and I moved away from it. So I had moved away from some of the tactics that were occurring. And they were tactics and they're well-meaning. I'm not, again, I'm not maligning, but that's what they felt they were going to have to do to get the attention. But it left this very small group, including the power company folks. And we looked at each other and we carried on. And over the years, I have worked and worked. This is the politics to bring those organizations back into working in the larger regional collaboration. And they've had some leadership changes 
we also had a very good outcome with the land. But they're now working closely with some of the people who they have taken to court more than once. So it's a, it's a, it, it took, it took a while. But there was a small few of us who were committed that we should and need to be in this together because it's one river and we share this river. We share this watershed. So just a story. Well, thank you for that. And Tracy, I was wondering if you had any questions for Vicki, if you'd like to ask her anything. I was really intrigued by that story. The last story that you told of the people, you know, standing and walking. And if you could share, was it because they just felt that they could not compromise on their position? So therefore they walked out of the room? Yeah, they felt they could not trust what the other side was doing and that they weren't being heard and they were going to find some way to get their way. Okay, because I'll be honest, I mean, we had somewhat of a similar situation in Ohio with our specific case in that there are, you know, many groups that just really felt that the agriculture industry was responsible for the problem and it should solely fall, you know, on their shoulders. We did have some some groups that still feel that way, but we believe that collaboration and cooperative solutions only come from bringing you know, as many voices to the table as possible. So thanks. Thanks for get, asking me that question, <laughs> yeah, Judy. Yeah, sure. And thanks for answering <laughs> it, Vicki. You mean, <laughs> I started to think yeah, about some of the other episodes that we had. I mean, it's been a while now, but we had some pretty good episodes. <laughs> uh, well, well Vicki, you, you and I should trade FERC stories. Um, <laughs> I think we'd have some, some interesting discussions. But, but Tracy, I was also just really intrigued by the story that you were starting to share about, you know, people saying, oh, it's their fault, therefore they have to stand alone and, you know, come up with the solution. I mean, you know, naming and blaming and finger pointing doesn't really have a place in the collaborative process, does it? No, no. One of the the terms that I use often is we want to achieve durable solutions and durable policy that's going to last. And I mean, political administrations come and go, as we've seen, obviously not just at the local and state level, but at the federal level. And I don't think anybody benefits by the next person totally redoing and revamping what the previous person or administration did. That's, that's not the way, and, and that's certainly not going to improve our environment and the, you know, the planet that we live on. So you may have some personal issues with a particular group or sector and don't think they should be at the table, but the reality is they have to be at the table in order to achieve a durable solution. I mean, you couldn't just name and blame. Like you said, that's a, you know, a great term. You can't just blame the farmers for something that they have to do in order to grow crops that are going to, as I said, you know, feed the country. We had to bring them in to talk about what they were really experiencing and ways that we could help the ag industry while also recognizing the very real impacts on, you know, municipalities and people that were, you know, not able to drink their water. And that reminds me too, not all collaborations come out of crisis and they're full of adversaries, right? The current one we're working on 
it's been really easy to recruit people in this Catawba Watery Initiative because we start with educating them about how important land cover is to water resources, full stop, quality and quantity. So we have worked on outreach on that. And yet, you know, there is suspicion from the agricultural community. There is suspicion from the development community and certainly the small towns and counties that are trying to grow here. So what we're finding is we have to really affirmatively understand their concerns and their fears, even though the temptation is to do the finger pointing and say, well, how come you can't see this? And, you know, it takes a certain amount of restraint and remembrance that from where they're coming from, it makes perfect sense what they're doing. That was beautifully stated from both of you. Thank you. Vicki, I just want to give you an opportunity just to see if you have a question for Tracy. I think it would be, you seem to have a lot of equanimity. You seem to have a lot of grace under pressure. Were there times when that was really tested? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just get the dirty laundry here. Come on, Tracy. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Grace under pressure where that was tested. I would say I'm less challenged in my (laughs) professional life probably as I am in my personal life with my teenage daughter. (laughs) Sorry. And um, because, and it's interesting, there are certainly times when I have had to talk to public officials. I know we're supposed to talk about the small P politics, but, you know, where you have to talk to public officials who are, you know, very high ranking and they may have said things that were offensive or, you know, have personal views that are offensive to me. And um, I, I really have to focus on the larger goal. I mean, my organization really, we do want to change the world and we want to make it a better place for everyone. And there are times when you have to put those things aside. There are also times when you have to step away and recognize maybe I'm not the best person to engage in that discussion. That's a really, I think, important point to just to kind of hone in on because, you know, the messenger does matter, doesn't it? That's funny. Too, Absolutely. I remember one of the accidental things that happened to me that led to some really productive stuff was when somebody was trying to work with somebody else. And that person said to me, Vicki, I just can't stand her. You take her. <laughs> <laughs> but I did. And it totally gelled and worked. And then we were able to kind of do some repair in the end. So that's a great <laughs> thing you said, because sometimes you got to be smart enough to remove hey, yourself from a particular situation. And you have to know who to send for the discussion. <laughs> I mean, you know, I have family members that grew up on farms and I can talk about, you know, cattle and certain, you know, livestock and crops, but I'm not the person that should be in those discussions with the chairman of the ag committee. You know, it should be somebody that is able to bring that voice that they trust. So I just had to put my ego aside and say, okay, this shouldn't be me. Yeah, it it seems like you both just honed in on something that we haven't really, what we've talked around is just authenticity. Do you want to say a few words about that? Vicki, I'll start with you. It always works. And if you that's and great. if you try it, 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 <laughs> and any other device you try, it will leak out anyway. Do you know what I mean? Nobody is that good. Well, maybe some people are, but <laughs> Tracy is. <laughs> I would say. I mean, I, I'm just going to put it out there. I have to lay my head down on my pillow at night. I really believe in the mission of the organization that I'm I'm working for, and I 
I know that we all we all want clean water to drink and we all want clean air, you know, and to breathe and, and places to live and recreate. And I'm there are people out there who aren't really authentic, but I think the key is finding something that connects us. And often, as Vicky talked about, I mean, you get that personal connection with someone, you share a meal with them, you start to find out a lot more about who they are as a person. And then that authenticity just builds and adds to the things that you can't. I think there's nothing that you can't achieve if you all bring your heart in. And I say both, but I mean, whoever's a part of the discussion, I think if, you, if you're where you should be, you'll know it and great things can happen. And I've seen it. I've just seen it too many times. I know it works. I've also learned that you can define authenticity differently. And we've been talking about it like it's, you know, well, it's good. It's how we should be, right? Integrity, authenticity. And someone once talked to me once about someone had broken trust with them. And another very wise person said, well, now you just know that you can trust them to do that. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I think there are people who are authentically slimy. <laughs> and instead of hating, true. but I'm, you see where I'm going with this, instead of hating them for that, which is the trap, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure I know how that person's going to react to this. How can I be smart about that? Back to our little P politics, right? As opposed to being, like I said, just hating them or whatever you're going to feel, you know, some animosity toward them. It's like, oh, I got it. That's his modus operandi. And how can I work with that? Oh, that's that's a fantastic story. That's it's great. Beautiful advice. Well, I want to give each of you just a moment just to reflect. And just, you know, do you have any final thoughts on, you know, if somebody is either in the midst of a collaborative process or... They're getting ready to start a collaborative process. Kind of words of wisdom, advice you would like to give them? I think I would like to put out there that it is okay to walk away from a process. There are times when it's just not there. The Nature Conservancy had tried other water fund efforts in other times, and the momentum and the will really wasn't there, but then it all came together. I also think in the beginning, it's okay to flounder a little bit, not know if you need a professional facilitator, you know, try to determine who the groups are. And also to realize you may want to have something happen really fast, but a lot of collaborations take a long time to build the trust, to get the authenticity. And it's okay. Look at the long game. You know, things can take five years and that's okay. That's great. I think for me, it always involves a very clear understanding of what we all mean by collaboration. And for me, collaboration is not just a nice word for compromise. It really is something else. And I think collaboration is when you actively seek to bring out the best in each other. One of my other lives, when I work with artists and people and bringing out their creative capacity, we do collaborative exercises. And it's very clear to see it there when a group is trying to to, to create some some peace, some work, and they'll start fighting or some will go in the corner or whatever. But if to remind them, no, 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 your job is to actively get the best out of Tracy. What's that idea that she's been afraid to share? What's that point of view that she brings that you couldn't possibly think of, right? So in a collaboration, I try and build that spirit where we're actively looking to get the best out of each other because some people will just sit at the table and say nothing. So how do you yeah. grab them in the 
coffee, true, you know, pot or whatever. It, it, so that for me is very important to first off remind people that it's more than a mere compromise. And because compromise tends to be zero sum. And I think collaboration is open-ended. So long as you, you know, keep the curiosity thing going, the relationship going. And this all sounds very lovely because I promise you there are also difficult moments. But we can, you know, we navigate those, right? Oh, yeah. When you go to bed at night. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's like, how could I have yep. said such a stupid thing, right? But anyway. Well, Vicki and Tracy, I want to thank you both so much for joining us today and providing your perspectives on collaboration. This has just been a lovely conversation with you both. And I hope that anybody who's listening, you know, just seeks both of you out and brings you into their collaborative process. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just honored to be part of the discussion. Yeah, me too. Just thank you. And to, uh, to hear from both of you as well. I've learned so much just in this short episode. So, and I just say it's, it's so heartwarming to know that there are so many really, really great people who understand the importance of working together for our natural resources, because that's what there is. We all come from that and we'll return to that. And there ain't nothing without healthy forests. Yep. Thank you both. The music on the podcast is by Chuck Lavelle. I want to thank everyone for tuning into how the river flows. Join us next time as we explore the connections between healthy forests and clean water and see how others have built a partnership that benefits all. You can listen to How the River Flows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Carlton Owen.